All right, so we're going to look at uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 7, paragraph 2. You all did paragraph 1 last week. Uh, this is a short one, but it is. Um, there's quite a bit in here to unpack. So just give me the next 30 minutes uh, of your attention, and hopefully we'll get through all of this and we'll be done. Um, maybe even a little bit, er- a little bit early, but we'll see. Um, all right, so chapter 7, paragraph 2 of God's covenant with Man. The first covenant made with man was a covenant of works, wherein life was promised to Adam and in him to his posterity upon condition of perfect and personal obedience. Um, so we're going to go through this uh, kind of phrase by phrase, four different uh, sections that we're going to look at from this, uh, from this paragraph. We're going to take each of them uh, separately. We're going to focus especially on the third phrase there, or the third section, um, and in him to his posterity. It's going to be really important uh, when when thinking about the covenant of works. But first of all, the the confession starts out by saying that the first covenant made with man was a covenant of works. Um, Turn, somebody who's got a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2 and read verses 15 through 17. Genesis 2, 15 through 17. You all were really loud earlier, and now all of a sudden you're really quiet. Go ahead, Jack. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Thank you. So this is um, the first main passage that the uh, authors of the, the confession cite in support of this particular paragraph. Now, uh, the first question we run into is, um, why would they say that there's a covenant of works here when the word covenant doesn't actually appear in the text? Uh, and there are actually some critics that would say that because the word covenant is not in the text, it's not a covenant, right? Right. Uh, the the Bible in other places says God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Moses. It doesn't say God made a covenant with Adam. Um, this is what has been referred to as the word thing fallacy. Um, the word word thing fallacy. So if the word's not there, then the thing is not there. Um, it's not a official or formal logical fallacy, but it is a poor way to argue, right? Um, think about this. This is, this is a really uh, mundane example. But if you read an article that was talking about an event that took place where there were two teams in uniforms with padding, and they were trying to score touchdowns uh, by throwing the ball to a receiver or running the ball in, but they never used the word football game, you still know it's a football game, right? Because it has all the markings of a football game. Uh, And so we'll see that that's actually the same thing going on here. We know this is true also of Scripture. The word Trinity never appears, right? But it's clear that the concept of God as a Father, a Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons in one, is the clear teaching of Scripture, even though the word Trinity doesn't show up. Uh, If you were to flip over into Genesis chapter 3, the word sin never appears in the text. But it's clear that there's sin. Do you have a question? Yes, I did. (laughs) Thanks. Um, So... The fact that the word covenant is not there doesn't mean there's no covenant. 
Uh, all right. Don't look at your notes, but think back to last week. What were the marks that Pastor Early said? Um, that the marks of a covenant. There was five of them that he gave. Anybody remember them? They all begin with the letter P. Okay. So uh, we've got parties, right? What else? So a covenant. A covenant has parties. What's next? Prescriptions. Prescriptions. What are the prescriptions? The things you are to do, right? What else? Anybody remember? What are the opposite of prescriptions? Prohibitions. Yes, prohibitions. Don't do these things. There's two more. And we could kind of put these together as uh, the conditions. Conditions of the covenant, right? So the parties in the covenant, the conditions in the covenant, prescriptions and prohibitions. Sometimes explicitly stated, sometimes one is stated, the other is implied. And then what else? What happens if you break a pro if you if you commit a prohibition, you do something you're not supposed to do. Punishment. Punishment. And then somebody said the last one earlier. I heard it over you. Promises. Yeah. Promises of blessing, right? Parties, prescriptions, prohibitions, punishments, promises of blessing. Or you could say parties, conditions, and then you could summarize this by saying consequences, both positive and negative, right? This is what's going to happen if you do or don't follow the conditions, right? Do we have the marks of those in this passage that Jack just read? We do, right? There's parties, God and man. Adam, as we'll see. Right? There's the parties. The prohibition is what? Don't eat of the fruit. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, what was it at the beginning of that passage that Jack read? There is a sort of command, right? It doesn't explicitly say it, but I think it, it's implying Adam is to what? Work for the ground. Yeah. Right? He's He's told to work the, the ground. He's told to work in the garden. Keep it. Those are commands. Um, what is the punishment? This is an easy one. We all know. The punishment of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is death. So death will come if you uh, do what the covenant says not to do. And we'll talk about that a little bit here later. And then implied in that, the punishment of death, what's the promise of blessing that's implied? Which is what the Westminster divines actually focus on in the confession. Well, they say life, exactly. Uh, wherein life was promised to Adam. So we can see we do have uh, the characteristics of a covenant here. But for those that still say, well, I'm not so sure, uh, somebody turn to Hosea chapter 6, verse 7. Somebody else turn to Isaiah 24, verse 5. Read, read those for us. 
Hosea 6-7. Who has Hosea 6-7? Francis? But they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. They have, there they have dealt treacherously against them. What translation is that? Oh, interesting. So, um, they translate that they, like man, have transgressed the covenant. Okay, somebody else with an ESV. Read that. For Hosea 6-7. You'll see why in just a second. Because the ESV translates it differently. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. Like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. And I think that's actually the better reading. So, Hosea 6-7 is saying that when... Israel broke the covenant. They were like Adam in breaking a covenant. So I think it's pretty clear from that. Uh, if you go with that translation, I can explain later why I think that's a better one. But uh, Hosea 6 is saying Adam had a covenant with God. Uh, Isaiah 24, verse 5. Who has that? James? Your replies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broke, broken the everlasting covenant. Keep going, actually, to the next verse also. Therefore a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. Sounds like a covenant, right? And it actually says they broke the everlasting covenant. So uh, I think it's clear from Scripture, and, and the Westminster Divines also think it's clear, that there was a covenant made with Adam, even though the word covenant doesn't appear. Um, secondly, what does it mean by a covenant of works? And we need to clarify this also. Uh, because there is some misunderstanding out there of what the, uh, the covenant of works is. There are some views that think um, the covenants with uh, Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, etc. are a covenant of works. That's not the case. Uh, and Pastor Early will get into this a, uh, a bit more, especially when he gets to paragraph 5 uh, of chapter 7, and he'll talk about uh, that, but those are actually those are part of the covenant of grace. The covenant of works. Uh, it's clear that this covenant that God made with Adam in the beginning rests on his obedience or disobedience. That's the condition uh, for for the covenant. The Westminster Confession doesn't actually go into much detail about the separate uh, covenants with individual people that you're going to see in the, in the Old Testament, but it divides the covenants into these two sort of big categories, covenant of works, covenant of grace. Um, and it is uh, the covenant of works simply because uh, it is a, it depends, it really depends on Adam's works. That is on his obedience, right? Uh, as it says at the end, upon condition of perfect and personal obedience. That is Adam was told if you obey this is the case. You'll have these, these uh, promises of, of blessing. If you disobey, then there is death uh, to come. So this is not the, the uh, misunderstanding of a covenant of works that some people see in the rest of the Old Testament. Um, and we have to... Um, so think of it this way. There's a... Some of you are going to groan. We're going to look... I'm going to put a couple of Latin words up on the board here. I think this is helpful. So, when God made Adam, he made him in a state where he had the, uh, he was passe picare. Any idea what that means? 
Maybe you have studied Latin? Able to sin? Yes. Pace is ability. Able, peccare, you've heard of peccadillos, little sins. Able to sin and... this mean? Not able to not sin. Able to not sin. So Adam was made in a state where he was able to sin or able to not sin. He, he, was, he was created in such a way that he could either obey God and fulfill the conditions of the covenant or he could <laughs> sin and break the covenant, right? How is that different from everyone else? Now, uh, from his, from from Adam forward after the fall, we're not able to not sin. Yes. This always makes sense. Sorry. So, what would the any idea what the Latin would be? It's really easy, actually. Non posse non peccare. Correct. Non posse, so no ability to not sin. We are all, and Adam after he falls, we are all unable to not sin. We can't help but sin. Um, and again, this is that fundamental divide between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Once Adam falls, and he and everyone else is in this state, the, God has to make a covenant of grace, right? Because there's no way at all that we could ever keep a covenant of works. It would be impossible, and God knows that. But this first covenant with Adam is a covenant of works wherein Adam was promised life upon obedience death upon disobedience. Um, so it really is, as um, so Pastor Phillips actually taught uh, on this whole section on the covenants a few weeks ago uh, over um, in, the, in the gym on a Wednesday. So if you want to hear what he says, you can hear in 40 minutes all, uh, I don't know how many paragraphs there are, six? Yeah. You can hear all six paragraphs on the covenants in about 40 minutes from Pastor Phillips. Uh, you're getting a little bit more depth from Pastor Early here. Uh, but he says, Adam, in his initial state, he was able to obey. And so this is a test of obedience um, that the Lord is, is giving him. Any questions so far? All right. Quickly then, life was promised to Adam. Um, again, this is not explicitly stated, but it's implied by the threat of death for disobedience, right? It's the opposite. So if death comes from disobedience... Life comes from obedience. Now, what kind of life was that? Um, it's, this, is, um, this, is, this is not um, directly pulled from Genesis, but essentially if you go and look at what uh, the Puritans wrote about the time that the confession was created, if you look at any Reformed theologians today, how they understand this, um, what does life mean? It doesn't simply mean Adam would get to stay in the state he was in. This state. Uh, think about if if Adam lived in this state forever, there's always this possibility hanging over his head, right? That he could potentially sin. And then if he has children, right? All of his um, progeny are in that same state. So most theologians, I think, rightly see this as a kind of probationary um, covenant. Probation as in like temporary time of testing. So that at some point, had Adam fully obeyed and never disobeyed and never fallen, the Lord would have granted to him um, not simply the continuance of the state he's in, but an even better, fuller experience of life with God. Um, so one of the reasons they see that again is because just 
God confirming you get to stay in this state that you're in forever doesn't seem like it's that great, right? You could still potentially fall. But also because of the parallels between what happens when he does disobey. Does he just experience physical death? Is that it? There's spiritual death, right? There's separation from God. Um, He is cut off. That part's immediate, even though the physical death is delayed. Uh, And as we'll see here in a little bit, um, when we look at the Romans passage, um, the covenant of works in Adam and the covenant of grace in Christ, there's a lot of parallels where they're they're held up beside each other. Um, And so essentially um, the, the, the thought is that had Adam... We don't have any idea how long this would have taken, how long the Lord is testing him. But had Adam not fallen, had he fully obeyed that covenant of works, that at some point he would have secured a sense of eternal, blessed communion with God. Okay? If you're confused about that or you're not sure about it, talk to me afterwards. I've got some resources I could point you to that talk a little bit more about that. Um, But that's what this promise of life is. Uh, is. Let me read just briefly. So this is actually a a shorter catechism explained from Scripture, but um, question number 12 deals with uh, a similar thing, the the covenant of works. Uh, This is by Thomas Vincent, a Puritan. So he says, what life was it that God promised to man in the covenant of works? The life that God promised to man in the covenant of works was the continuance of natural and spiritual life, and the donation of eternal life. And then he asks, wherein doth natural, spiritual, and eternal life consist? Natural life doth consist in the union of the soul and body. Spiritual life doth consist in the union of God and the soul. Eternal life doth consist in the perfect, immutable, and eternal happiness, both of soul and body, through a perfect likeness unto, and an immediate vision and fruition of God, the chief good. I think that's the what's promised to Adam had he endured this, this probationary time of uh, uh, obeying God and fulfilling the covenant. There's a sense in which his state would have been better than even the one he was created in. Not that the one he was created in was bad. It was good, right? God said it was very good. Um, but there is more promised to him. Uh, I also want to pause and just remind you of what um, Pastor Early mentioned last week, that the fact that God even entered into a covenant is gracious in and of itself, right? Uh, we don't really we don't really use the term gracious. Pastor Phillips even said um, grace is kind of a word that's reserved post-fall uh, in Scripture. It's used after the fall. But there's a sense in which God is freely choosing to enter into relationship with Adam beyond simply the relationship <clears throat> that he already started as the creator to Adam as his creature, right? That already existed. Adam already owed certain things to God, as Pastor Early mentioned last week. Uh, because of the fact that he was created by God. God is <clears throat> excuse me. God is going even above and beyond that and saying, if you obey me in this and do not eat from this tree, there is the promise of life, but if you disobey, then there is punishment of death. Um, okay, any other any questions about any of that so far? All right. This last part, we're going to spend probably most of the rest of the time, next 10 minutes or so. Yeah? Is that the state we're going to be in? Or the like, kind of glorified state in the final? So that's a good question. The, we can't say for certain that like had Adam um, 
obeyed, he would end up in the same state that we will in Christ. I don't, I don't think we can go that far. We don't have that kind of information. Um, we do know that ultimately um, that wasn't going to happen because Adam clearly fell, right? So we have much more information about the state now after the fall, because God shows us that, and we know more what the state will be after Christ returns, right? Um, anybody know the Latin for what our state will be then? Any guesses? What would we not, what would we have or not have the ability to do? Non possipicare. Yeah. See how these line up so nicely? Not able to sin. That's the glorified state. You will be unable to sin, which is the best state of all, right? Um, so we could speculate that perhaps that's similar. Had Adam obeyed, we don't, we don't know. All right, this next part is really important. Um, so we're going to spend the, most of the rest of the time on it. And it is this fact where the Westminster Divines said, and wherein life was promised to Adam and in him to his posterity. Um, this is what's known as the federal headship of Adam. This might be the last big, big term we have to talk about. Uh, interestingly, this actually comes from the Latin word for covenant. Um, but this is the federal headship of Adam. That is, uh, Adam is the representative of all humanity. Um, and when Adam fell, we all fell in Adam. Uh, he represents us uh, because, because he fell, the sanctions that were given to him uh, in the passage that Jack read, right? Uh, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That falls on us as well, because we are in Adam. How do we know this? Uh, turn to Romans chapter 5. This is the crucial argument that Paul makes. Now, this is bad news at first, right? Adam sinned because of that. He doomed everyone to that uh, inability to not sin. The good news, which Pastor Early gets to talk about more later, is that uh, Christ also is a federal head for those who trust in him. Romans chapter 5 um, I'll just read verses 12 through 21. Listen carefully to the argument that Paul makes here. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Notice that's a past tense, sin. I think he's saying because all sinned in Adam when Adam sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. That is, he's a, he's a picture, he points to something greater. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. 
For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What Paul is saying there basically is, Adam represented all humanity when, uh, when he was created and when the Lord made this covenant with him. Uh, and because Adam fell, we all also fell. So that's the, the, the promise was to Adam and, to, and in him to all his posterity, but also likewise then the punishment is to Adam and to all his posterity. Um, we all now are uh, not able not to sin. Um, there's, a, there's a Puritan writer named Thomas Goodwin. Uh, he, the way he puts it is that there, um, these two men, that is Adam and Christ, have all other men hanging off their belts. So it's as if Adam has a belt and we're all holding on to that belt. We're all hanging off of that belt. So when God looks at Adam, he sees Adam, but he also sees all of us hanging on Adam's belt. Unless we have trusted in Christ, which means we've been taken off of Adam's belt and put onto the belt of Jesus Christ. So that when God looks at Christ as our federal head, he sees us as well there. So you're either in Christ this is the this is the really the big takeaway uh, from this covenant of works. This sets up the fact. So the fact that the fact that you can um, by faith or by grace through faith trust in Jesus, be united to Him, and receive forgiveness of sin. Right. The fact that that God can count that to you then as righteousness is only because Christ is your federal head. But likewise, uh, the reason that that is the case is because Adam is the federal head of all of us uh, because of the covenant of works. So you're either, you're either, if we were to draw it on the board, Every single person, by virtue of just existing, right, ends up here. Uh, the choice that every single one of us has uh, is whether or not we want to continue with Adam as our head. Do we want Adam as our representative? If so, you already know the outcome, right? He, he disobeyed uh, and brought condemnation, um, and that's going to continue for all of us. If we trust in Christ, we are then moved over under the covenant of grace uh, and Christ then becomes our representative. Um, just in the last couple of minutes, this is a big deal because there are multiple examples throughout church history of uh, people abandoning this doctrine, which by the way, this is all the basis of original sin, right? The doctrine of original sin comes because of this covenant 
of works. But there are uh, one example, a man named Pelagius, late 4th century, early 5th century. He was a theologian who denied original sin. He said every single person is born in the same state Adam was born in. You have the ability to sin or the ability to not sin. It's up to you, right? Um, but basically, we're all, we're all neutral or innocent. We're all good, and we just had bad examples. Um, we're not corrupt or guilty ourselves until we actually sin. That's wrong. Um, so Pelagianism comes out of that. Semi-Pelagianism, uh, which Arminianism tends to take that semi-Pelagian view, is kind of like we're sick. We're, we're, we're not completely dead. We're not in a great situation. They wouldn't say we're completely innocent. But we just need to choose on our own, in our own strength, to have faith. Uh, and, then, and then we'll be okay. Uh, but these are false teachings, right? Uh, the, the problem is they all fail to reckon fully with our state as fallen man under the covenant of works. They all fail to recognize uh, what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 5. Um, the other verse I'll leave you with is 1 Corinthians 15 uh, also teaches this. First uh, Corinthians 15, 21 to 22 says... For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, that is all who are in that covenant of works, which is all of us, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, that is all who are in the covenant of grace, by faith in him. Uh, and then that last phrase, this is, uh, the first covenant was made with man, the first covenant made with man was a covenant of works wherein life was promised to Adam, and in him to his posterity, upon condition of perfect and personal obedience. Um, again, the condition is, it's works, right? It's obedience, it, but it has to be perfect. The moment that Adam broke that command, he broke the covenant fully. Uh, he, he doesn't get to decide what the conditions are. We don't get to decide what the conditions are uh, because God is the creator and the sovereign Lord who determines that, right? Um, he could either choose to obey or disobey um, his choice was to keep the covenant or to break it, uh, keep it by perfect and personal obedience, receive life, break it, receive death. Sadly, he broke it and received death. But uh, the good news is yet to come um, that there is another second Adam, as scripture talks about, right? And that's crucial. Christ is the second Adam. He, in a sense, gets to redo the covenant of works for us. Uh, Pastor Phillips often says, um, we are saved by works, right? There's a sense in which we are saved by works, but it's not our works. It's the works of Christ when he fully obeys God for us. Um, so the three keys to remember, the covenant is, is there, even though the word is not there. The covenant is there. It's clearly in, in Genesis chapter two. Uh, we broke that covenant when Adam did because we are counted as being in him. Um, and if you're not under the covenant of grace, if you are not united to Christ by faith, then you are under the covenant of works still. And punishment, death, eternal death and separation from God is guaranteed. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we do uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for this covenant that you had entered into with Adam by your own uh, free choosing. Uh, we are sad to know, Lord, that Adam broke that covenant 
um, and that because he is our representative, we also have broken that covenant, but we rejoice to know that there is a covenant of grace and that all who trust in Christ are united to him and Christ becomes our representative and he fulfilled your law perfectly, uh, perfect obedience to earn righteousness that is counted to us. Uh, we thank you for that grace. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.